Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Ramble. Today, I am with the incredible Teresa Zimran, who is very much like me, and I am very much like her. We are finding out in our brief, uh, we've only known each other for 60 seconds, but really 15 years, and we'll get into how that might be the case. Teresa is the founder of Wood Underwear. She's an entrepreneur, advisor, mentor, challenge seeker. She's always considered herself a citizen of the world but always wanted to be from a small town where everyone knows your name. Her career progression takes on that look. She started her career on the global stage and claimed her MBA from Lived World Experience. Based around the globe, she worked with the world's largest companies on their brand and strategy challenges at pivotal pivotal moments, excuse me, of change for them and in the world. Going from big corporate to being perhaps the only female founder of a men's underwear brand was a massive pivot and one that gave her a light bulb moment. She loves Main Street, multi-generational store owners, new store founders, all people who give life and color to America's small cities and towns. Today, she advises founders, business owners, and teams, is training for another marathon and forever trying to improve her golf game. Teresa and her husband, David, are always on the lookup for the next great adventure and currently live in Raleigh, North Carolina and Richmond, Virginia with their Aussies, whiskeys, and tequilas. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I have, I have all that on LinkedIn. That's awesome. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I found it somewhere on the internet. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, cool. And I was, I was like, well, one, you're one of my first guests who I have no history with, which really excited me. And then I found out, like I said, that we actually have a shared history. And it's so shocking because you talk about global citizen, citizen of the world. And I have something dedicated to that. And then there's the underwear and there's just all these things. And I'm like, yes. And I have to start with a very, well, the Aussies, the whiskeys and the tequilas. What are the Aussies? <laughs> are those people or? Are they- they're, they're my dogs. They're Australian <laughs> shepherds. And they are, they are smarter than, um, smarter than my husband and I, uh, most days they are incredibly intelligent dogs and their name is whiskey and tequila. So whiskey's my, whiskey's my 12 year old Aussie. He's a, he's a black try. And my, um, my seven year old Aussie's name is tequila and he's a blue Merle and he is a hot mess in every way, shape and form. <laughs> okay. So here I thought. There were some people from down under living with you, <laughs> and you really like to drink whiskey and tequila, which I really well, that's like. That's true. You must if you named your, your pups that. That's we true. Have, we have a um a great Pyrenees. <gasps> He's wow. a big boy. He is also smart. Beautiful. He's a bit of an asshole. Not like, not like in he's mean, but in he's stubborn and he knows. Oh what he is doing, even if he pretends not to. Well, and he's big enough that if he's stubborn, he's, he can throw his weight around. I mean, good. He uh, just generally walks off and like literally hides, literally hides to pretend that he can't because he knows we can't see him. So he's going to pretend that he can't hear us, even though he's only 
25 feet away and you can absolutely hear us. Yeah. But, and yeah. this breed, is this, well, actually, I want to know <clears throat> why you named them whiskey and tequila. There must be a story. Well, <laughs> well, so years ago when we got whiskey, we were, my husband and I were studying whiskey. We wanted to get to know whiskey better. So whiskey as in the drink. You know, yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. And then tequila, I've always loved to imbibe tequila, but we also have, you know, done a little bit of education. Like every three or four years, we pick a new, you know, liquor and decide we need to know more. I'm not saying that it, you know, is retained necessarily all of this information and study that we do, but, uh, but yeah. So, um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the dogs kind of named themselves, you know, we had all kinds, when we went to pick up whiskey, we had all kinds of other names sort of, you know, in our heads. And then we looked at him, we're like, Oh my God, that he's a whiskey. Mm -hmm. He's, he is smooth. He's mellow. He just, he knows his shit. He's, I mean, he is like, he's there for everybody. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really that. cool. When you dive deep in with, with your, your husband on those. Cause that's always been a fantasy of mine is to what, to just dive deeper into whiskey and, and tequila and wine for that matter. I've yes. never, to your point, the retention, I watched, um, I can't remember what the name of the show was called, but it was a show about four gentlemen training to be a, uh, Smollier, Smollier, Smollier. Oh, so, I've had friends try to do that and it's impossible. Oh it's God. very hard. And these, and these four gentlemen were trying to become masters, like the master level of what, whatever it is. Yeah, a, a Smollier. If you, if you get to if you be a Smollier, then you're, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And they're sitting there around a kitchen table with thousands of dollars worth of wine. How they afford that, I don't know, to like, well, we'll start their education, right? Maybe. Yeah. And they're just sipping and spitting and then taking notes on the flavor palettes. And in this particular test that they were taking, they had to be able to note when they take, when they taste a wine, the region, the year, and not just California, like where in California, what right. year, right. what grape. I mean, that is just, encyclopedic kind of knowledge and you're doing it while drinking. <laughs> like my yeah, Well, so I, a girlfriend of mine and I were in a bar, a wine bar, and uh, it was the middle of the day. So nobody was there except us. I mean, I, I'm not against daytime drinking and whatever, but anyway, the bartender, she was, she was on her own, but um, a fellow bartender came in and he had this kit. It's this big suitcase. Mm -hmm. So he puts it up on the bar and he kind of looks at us and he says, you don't mind, do you? We don't know what we're not minding about. We just said, sure, we don't, whatever it is, we don't mind. He opens it up and there's these little vials. So people who know these things are going to think this is just basic, but we were blown away. Little teeny vials of flavors. And you have to smell them. And it's all part of the sommelier, I guess, practice or to get there, the education. I mean, so he, you know, we had a little fun with it too. And he let us smell the vials as well. And, and um, I mean, tell me the difference between a black currant and a black cherry <laughs> by smelling it. What? I mean, is, that, is probably... that talent or is it learned or do you not know? <laughs> you... I think. Well, I, I mean, I think it can be learned. I am sure there are people who have palates that are already kind of more, you know, leaning that way. 
you know, so probably, you know, like math and science and, you know, English and whatever else, you know, there are people who, you know, kind of get it naturally, but then other people who have to work hard at it, I'm sure it's the same way, but I mean, sitting, sitting there after drinking a couple of glasses of wine and trying to smell the difference between, (laughs) you know, raspberries and blackberries and currants. And I mean, it was just like, holy cow. I I have a great deal of respect for the complexity Mm. of of wine and whiskey, which is having a moment and tequila, which just had a moment. I'm yeah. curious. And we, then we can move on from alcohol. <laughs> if you want, I can talk about alcohol all day. What are you, what are you liking or recommending in whiskey and tequila these days? So we just, we were just introduced to a new, a new bourbon TX. TX. So that, I, I mean, it's, it's in the liquor stores here in North Carolina, so I'm sure it's everywhere, but um, we didn't know. It. And it's got, it's got vanilla notes to it. So it really smooths it out. It's really, it's really pretty nice. And then big fan of Basil Hayden. Got a bottle um, shelf. Love Basil Hayden. Yep. Oh, it is. And then there's, uh, there's some fun stuff like Jefferson Ocean. You know, they put it in barrel casks and they send it down past the equator and they bring it back. And apparently the movement of the ships or whatever does something. I don't know, but it's fun. It's a fun story. That's a good story. Sounds like a story we could transition into like underwear fabric later, possibly. <laughs> you send, send your underwear in a cask and uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's good. I, I'm like, I'm a big fan of, well, Basil Hayden. I like Casamigos tequila a lot. Didn't love the rocks, Terramana. Oh. Um, as much, not that it's not drinkable. It's drinkable. <laughs> so there's a brand new tequila out female founder. Um, and it's a female tequila maker and it's called Inspiro I N S P I R O. Um, Mara, Mara Smith, she's out of Chicago, but, um, it just, she just launched it at the end of last year. So, uh, that's a, that's actually a really good one. So okay, I'm, I'm a, I'm a I, big I wonder up here in Canada, if we even get these things, we're, oh, we're yeah. so, uh, behind the times oh yeah well do you guys have as funky a liquor laws as we have down here in some states probably I mean, can you ship liquor across you know provinces and i mean some states here you still can't ship liquor into you have to go physically to a store or the store can ship it to you within the state but i don't know there's, there's some really weird distribution laws here yeah i think that it's the same here you know for anyone fact check us if you want but i believe that one, the government regulates a hundred percent of it. So nothing doesn't go through the, oh, the, wow. the, the, okay. whether it's provincial legislation or federal, there's no bottle of booze sold in the province or the country that has the government doesn't know is being sold and or done by only a handful of distributors. You know, it's very monopolized in that way and, and it's very tight in that way and very expensive. That's why we have as I if I recall, and this may have changed, like on many things, we are double on wine. Oh my God. So double. that's where you cross the border, you load up, you yeah. drive across with the blanket over the yeah. purchases. Yeah. Yeah. Hush, hush. I, well, I, you know, speaking of that, like I used to, I know all this because one, I've lived in the States on two occasions. And one of them, one of those occasions was in High Point, North Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think that far from Raleigh, right? No. An hour, hour and a half. I mean, most of the furniture in my house comes from High Point. Yeah. I had heard it was the furniture capital of the Greenboro Triad. It is. I didn't necessarily take in that when I was there. I was there on a running scholarship. And Oh, uh, wow. Okay. I, I've heard it's changed a lot. And I just keep hearing about how incredible North Carolina is and is also becoming. 
True yeah. story. True story. Well, I've only been here. Um, I've been here six years now, mm-hmm. moved here from Southern California. My husband and I had both you know, popped in here on business, you know, the kind of pop in where you fly in to an airport, you drive to a conference room and drive back to the airport and pop back out again. So um, we kind of came here sight unseen, didn't know, but it was one of the three ish places we agreed we'd live if we weren't living in Southern California generally and love it. Love it. But even in six years, it is transforming. It's crazy. And then, of course, the last two years with everybody being able to go remote. I mean, there's just so much more of an influx of, of people, probably in all small cities across the U.S., but it's, uh, it's amazing. Love and it. That's, and that's, you, you, you talk about this and we're seeing it. I mean, Asheville, North Carolina would be an example close to home for you, where previously- beer, Back to alcohol, beer. Beer, Asheville and beer, craft beer, great craft place beer and to music. And yes, music, right. My yeah. my buddy just moved to Asheville from Miami. But you're going to bring everything back to alcohol. Yeah, so we can do that. <laughs> including how you started wood underwear. We can bring that back to alcohol, can yeah. we? <laughs> Dating book? Can we bring that back to alcohol? Probably. <laughs> well, we were going to try, but I, I did want to like you know we're gonna. I think we'll find our way back to Main Street because I think it's a it's a wonderful thing that you've noted in a few places that I've read things and, and just your love of it. And, and, and I love it. And um, I think it's, I think we're starting to see this incredible shift back to, well, we actually more of us love it than we knew loved it, you know, pre pandemic, but we officially, officially off with get your, with your story of founding, wood underwear if that's a good oh, place to start sure. you would sure, prefer sure, sure. to start with japan i'm fascinated by that too so why don't i hand it over please to- start wherever you want <laughs> it's all it's all going to lead back to today somehow right <laughs> okay well then you know what screw it let's talk about japan because this okay. is this is early because this is post-college yeah and there's a lot baked into this that i think that we can we can then build back out for the listeners sure. You decided to move to Japan without any real reason to that I could see. So tell me why, how, what happened and what was it like there? Yeah. So, so if, if you were going through high school, college in the eighties, that, that was kind of the height of the Japanese economy. So everything was happening in Japan. They just bought Rockefeller center. I mean, you know, there were a lot of, very high profile purchases that they were making around the world. And, um, and it was just like the center of business. It seemed like the center of excitement. I took a semester of Japanese in college and uh, didn't, I mean, cause I was curious more than anything. And um, my, my Japanese professor proactively, totally, totally unprompted during the middle of class one day, just looked down at me and said, I'll never recommend you for a job in Japan. So I'm like, Oh, wow. A job in Japan. Huh? I never actually even thought of doing that. So, I mean, why am I taking Japanese if I don't want to go to Japan? So let's do that. So I graduated and I, and I, uh, I did take a short-term job in Southern California. I went to Santa Clara University in Northern California and um, I was at a division of Hughes um, Microelectronic Systems Division down South. And, and I'm like, I, this is temporary and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. So, you know, three months later I caught a plane and, and I left and my, uh, where were you? Where did you stay? Tokyo or outside of Tokyo? I was in Tokyo. I was in Tokyo. Yep. In fact, I, um, my mom just, you know, 
My, my parents just think I thought I was nuts, but very supportive. They had no idea what was going to happen. They, I think they just kind of closed their eyes and, you know, hope for the best. But my, my mom was a little more proactive than that. She's like, what are you going to do when you get there? And I'm like, I've backpacked Europe. I'll just figure it out. I'm going to let, I know how to go find a hostel. It's going to yeah. be fine. So she midway across the Pacific, you know, I'm going through my bag and probably filling out the passport paperwork. And I see this envelope that she stuck in my bag. And it was a reservation for a hotel at the airport at Narita airport, a and a hotel. And I thought, huh, okay, well, that was a nice thing to do. Not going to need it. Um, six hours later, I get off the plane and I get out into Narita airport and I am completely overwhelmed. And I'm looking around and I see the down elevator to departures and I see the ANA hotel sign. I'm like, okay, one day at a time. And I went to the ANA hotel. So um, it's it's probably really due to her that I didn't just turn around and get back on a plane. I mean, it was frightening. You hear that a lot about Tokyo. Not that it's unwelcoming, that it is overwhelming. Even the, the subway systems, even just getting from the airport to wherever you're trying to go is literally an overwhelming experience. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I knew everything because I traveled Europe. Right. So I get to, I get to Japan and um, you know, and you can't read the language. I mean, yes, I could read um, hiragana and katakana and maybe a few little kanji, you know, here and there, but you get into this airport and certainly in the eighties now, you know, you've got more uh, Roman letters and you know, there's a little bit more, it's got a little bit more of an international feel now, but, but at the time it was, it was very, very local, you know, local feeling and very foreign. And so, yeah, it was, it was and crowded and the sense of personal space. I mean, the first few days I was there, I, I, I mean, I was walking in the Ginza district, which is famous for, you know, being crowded and like times square times 10. And um, this was early in the morning, like 6am. So there was nobody around. And I've got this big sidewalk to myself and there's two women walking and they chose to walk right next to me. So I'm just kind of going because the sense of personal space is just so different than, you know, here. And so then you kind of go, oh, my God. So it was foreign all over the place. Women used to smoke in the bathrooms because it wasn't okay to smoke publicly. Mm -hmm. You'd walk into a women's restroom in the 80s and you'd walk out smelling like (laughs) the marble chimney. Yeah. Yeah. Is it in your experience, because you hear this a lot, like, you know, Japanophiles, people who who truly believe that Japan and maybe Tokyo, specifically Kyoto, best country, best cities in the world. Do you concur having lived there? I mean, that's many years ago now in the eighties. Have you been back? Like what's your, what's your relationship with? Yeah. I, I, I love the country. I love so much about it. I do. And, and the one thing, the one thing that was a stark contrast from other big cities in the United States in the eighties, for sure is I could walk anywhere in Tokyo by myself any time of day or night, and I was fine. <laughs> so I don't think you had in the eighties for sure. And, you know, maybe less so now too, but there's, there's very few cities in the world where you, you could say that. And I honestly, it was, I mean, it's, it, there's so much, um, everybody takes care of their patch of sidewalk in front of their house. Every t- everybody takes there's so much peer peer reinforcement for behavior. So this is a good and a bad thing, right? So there's the, the peer reinforcement. I mean, if you steal a bike, they have police boxes in Tokyo. If you steal a bike as a kid, you know, prank, whatever, and you get caught, 
you have to sit in the police box and write apology letters. <laughs> so all your neighbors are coming by yeah. and all your family's, you know, friends. So you have just shamed everybody, you know, cause you're going to sit there in public and people don't, may not know why you're in there, but they know you're in there because you did something wrong. So there's just so much peer reinforcement of behavior there that it's, it's kind of phenomenal. So, I mean, there, there are drawbacks too. I mean, people come back from Japan all the time, like, oh, beautiful, perfect utopia, you know? And I think you've got to remember that, you know, all of that comes with a downside too. I mean, I got mail addressed to me, Teresa Christensen, my maiden name, Teresa Christensen, Tokyo, Japan. I mean, the rest of it was illegible, but it got delivered to me. This is a city with the population of the time of California. And I got the mail delivered to me. So you kind of go, okay, all right. There's, you know, there's some pretty wound type people here. Well, that's, yeah, the, the, what we appreciate so much in mastery and respect and honor can manifest in shame in, you know, their, their, their word for, they have, I don't know the word, but the word for overwork that they have, you know, the people struggle with And And you, and I, I find and this is this could be a wide, wildly inaccurate statement, but I find that one of the ways it shows up is in their wacky and weird porn, and they're like they're absolutely they're, they're the manga. yeah, and and manga. all yeah yeah magna it's like and okay. and beyond that like it's that it's is sex tourism and yeah byproduct of something else and and so there's I have two questions in this and one is you know what did you hope to get out of that experience and did you get Oh my gosh. So this is, this is where, this is a hard, this is, this is a hard question to answer because I wish I had a plan at the time. My plan at the time was just to go find something that I wasn't, that I didn't already know. So I didn't know what that was going to be. I didn't know what I was seeking. Um, I just knew I had to go and experience I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't even go thinking, oh, I have to learn, you know, I have to be fluent in Japanese in, you know, a year or two. I didn't know how long I would stay. I ended up staying there two years, but I, I really didn't know. But what I got out of that was a lot of things that I live by today, which is one day at a time, you can do anything one day at a time. The other thing is you, you can and should do something for a year before you decide that it's not right. I mean, you can do anything for a year too. You can live anywhere for a year because less than a year, you haven't experienced it really to any depth. You haven't given it a chance, you know, more than year, you just, you know, depends. But um, I, I think if you want any kind of substantive feeling about a place for yourself, I, I really think it takes a year and you can do anything for a year. It's really not that long a time. No, so, and you're right though. And it does give you, I know, I know when I sold naked the first time and moved to my undercover company and moved to New York with it, that was a very hard adjustment. And I think if I'd given it more time, I ended up coming home after about two years, 18 months, but I think if I'd given it another year to, to your point, I think it would have been different for me. I don't think oh. I would fully, it would just been too short a period of time in the grand scheme of things to let all the dust settle and let all the, idiosyncrasies of new life and new people and new culture and all of these things just kind of come into me as opposed to push them out. Right. And and on the flip side, but, but I should say, but I felt the whole time, like it was too much and the year felt forever. 
but really it wasn't. Well, you were also, I mean, add on to all of that. You were also <laughs> changing the relationship you had with your own business. Yeah. Right. And that's, I mean, even if you were physically surrounded by everything, you know, I think that would have been a hard transition anyway. That is, uh, uh, you and I, 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 I read something that you mentioned about, um, imposter syndrome and, uh, that and you mentioned it, it was a real thing and I can write it's a real thing polish my language but like I had I was oozing in imposter syndrome when I was there I don't deserve to be here all these people are are smarter than me are more important than me are more capable than me you know who am I to be here and some of that you know some of that thought process was unfortunately reinforced by the people there <laughs> but oh yeah the people who smell weakness are going to you know, grab it. Well, we, what's your experience with it? When did you feel it? Well, I mean, I think I, I feel it all the time. Honestly, I have to, have to talk myself out of it, you know, on a regular basis with like real life grounding. Cause there's stuff all around me that tells me that that's just silly that I'm feeling that way. But I can tell you that some of my biggest mistakes with wood have been in hiring people who I thought were smarter, more capable, more, 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 more than me with, for my business. Like, oh, I can't do it as well as they can. So of course, of course, everything you say. Right. But it's just, it's just, it was such a mistake and, you know, more than one, more than one case. I, uh, I unfortunately work my life a little bit on trial and error. So I have to learn mistakes over more than once sometimes, but yeah. What's your strategy uh, for getting out of it? Like how when you when you find yourself in in a pattern a thought pattern of imposter syndrome how do you, what's your thought what's your thought pattern or what how do you disrupt the pattern to shift out of it and get back into your body get back into your positivity and yeah well I mean it usually does take a take like a deep, deep physical breath I run that's where I do some of my best thinking my most free thinking yeah. and it's uh, gosh I mean that's a, it's a really good question because. What I, what I've early, early on, I, it probably took me longer Um, these days, I guess, because I've had so much practice at making mistakes (laughs) that it, it's more about just sitting back and going, something doesn't feel right. What is it? You know, why are you feeling like you're not worthy? Cause you can identify, once you identify the feeling, it's like, if you're feeling not worthy, it's like, okay, stop true or not true. And worth, what does that mean? What's worthy? And, you know, it's how can you not be worthy to run your business if you're running your business? I mean, so that I have these come to Jesus conversations with myself. Um, yeah, those are, those are important. The identification thing is, is really critical is to be yeah. able to say, oh, I am in this. Okay. And I, I always find that it's informed by something. It's informed, yeah. generally speaking, by comparison. We've, yeah. We've now, all of a sudden my unworthiness is in comparison to something that I have judged or I have been told to view as more worthy than myself yeah. degree of yeah. title. But I'm a, I'm a massive believer now in founder led companies, um, no matter what stage of their yeah. growth, Yeah, because that is where the heart and soul of the company lies. And I'm a massive champion of how do you support that founder? Who's inevitably still going to, they're just a human being and, yeah. They didn't, they didn't necessarily know exactly what, where they got their business to was going to be like, yeah, you can't know that until they're there. You can dream and we can see, you know, Elon Musk doing whatever he's doing, but we can't know what it feels like to be in that seat. 
And often in entrepreneurship, even at a very micro level, we find ourselves there feeling yeah. completely out of our depth. <laughs> and, yeah. and we are, you know, we, we do deserve to be there. We, we deserve everything, but we, you know, I think that we're sort of indoctrinated that we don't, to be frank, that, yeah. you know, that the, the, the societal rhetoric at large is you're not worthy because when it's that, then we need something from society, whether it's a medicine, yeah. whether it's a new purse to make ourselves feel better, it's all designed to sell us something to make us feel better. And, and wow, I got way off on tangent. No, no, but, but I mean, but that, but that is a good point because I can tell you that a lot of the times when I got myself in trouble because I was trying to involve people who I thought were better than me or more experienced, more, 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 and had, you know, better ideas. And, you know, how could I know anything? I haven't done this before. And so they're going to come in. It was when I was looking for, you know, the silver bullet, the magic, you know, I was looking for the magic overnight, you know, mm-hmm. success. And it, it just, it doesn't, nobody can do that for you. It, it doesn't really exist. I mean, overnight successes take 10, 20 years. I mean, it's, and um, when you're first starting out a business though, you get these like little glimmers of just amazing, right? And you're like, oh yes, this is going to be it, right? And oh my God, this person really thinks they want to be part of my business. So of course we're taking off now. And, um, and so, you know, now it's going to go well because I've got this person on board. Well, you know, part of, part of the commentary on that is that I wasn't enough to get it there. And so it is, you know, and then you, you know, you, you go through enough of those and go, you know, okay, high, low, high, low, let's steady kind of wins the game. I mean, I, that's, that's what I think with running. I tell my husband this all the time. He's a rabbit. I'm a turtle. Turtles win. (laughs) Turtles win in, in distance running. I mean, you know, you, you know, so sorry. Yeah. And, and you get ahead of your skis and, and by going too fast and you lose via injury, you lose via burnout, you lose via a lot yeah. of, and there is, yeah. there's absolutely, I, I haven't figured out how to reconcile this for the entrepreneur, for the athlete, where other than through a really great partner in partner in your business or partner in life, I yeah. guess, who can counterbalance the optimism, ambition of one type archetype entrepreneur with yeah. the methodical operationally minded execution of the other type yeah. of entrepreneur who again like i i find that short of being a unicorn it's the it is the turtle to, to use your reference who gets it there yeah. and you know all my all my bad decisions in, in entrepreneurship and businesses i've started have been because i was just way too ahead of myself in my thinking and, you know, probably a bit in my ego too, but that person that helps us balance and, and goes back to your philosophy of one day at a time. Yeah. Business is one or built one day at a time. One day at a time. Bad or good, you know, yeah. that even yeah. feel. And, you know, naked is a byproduct of the, the, the not so great, path of, of too far, too fast, too far. Cause we spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars with, of investors money and kept having to raise more money, kept having to uplist onto new exchanges, ended up having to sell brand out at not what anybody would have wanted because we just, we were out of our depth. Yeah. Nobody was out of their depth from a skill set level, but from a spending from a, you know, an ambitious level of trying to appease the markets one quarter at a time. Yeah. It just, you know, you just can't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is so, you know, early on, I, I had, 
I, I, I was not lacking in people who wanted to give me money. I just didn't know what to do with it if they gave it to me. So, you know, then I'm like, okay, well, if somebody comes to me with money, who has something else besides money to offer to the business, then maybe that's a better thing to entertain. And, um, cause I didn't want to be responsible for spending somebody else's money when I didn't know how I, how I was supposed to be spending my own bootstrapping this business. And I just, I couldn't, couldn't that, that stuff would keep me up at night. Owing people money makes me crazy, which you kind of have to get over a little bit when you start a business, but then but then I started um, talking. So I started talking with all these investors too. And, you know, they're like, it, you got to think about control of the business too and control of the brand. And if you give, you know, if you start too early with giving away pieces of your business, you're also giving away pieces of control of that business. So I like to say that I'm my company's, you know, best asset and worst asset. I mean, my company probably would have grown a lot faster without me at the helm, but, you know, it, would have grown differently. So, I mean, I, I'm this one, you know, one day at a time. I know, I know what's coming in. I hope I know what's coming in. I know what I'm spending. I know what I'm spending on. I have a philosophy right or wrong in how I want to go to market, what I want to take to market. You know, everybody wants to put, you know, bananas and Cheerios and whatever on underwear and let's go that way. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the brand I'm, I'm building. And, you know, there's just so many, so many ways you lose control when you start inviting other money in, but you have to, at some point, you have to. Very few businesses grow without, in this day and age, grow without yeah. Um, capital coming in. Some do, some do, uh, you know, yeah. the e-commerce world has helped with that, but what, what would be the distilled advice that you would give an entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur, someone who's, you know, probably on their own starting a business. It's, it's got some traction, probably not a lot, you know, sub a hundred thousand in sales, something like that. And they come to you and they say, Teresa, like, what do I do? You know, I can't really afford to bootstrap it, but you know, sometimes that's just, the way that you're thinking about it and there's this investor and they want 51% or yeah, yeah, you know, kind of that whole, every entrepreneur hits that troll yeah. under the bridge at some point in their early part of their journey. And then they hit it again and again and again. And there's this conundrum of when that troll's not there and they're not bad people, but I'm just using this metaphor for yeah. whatever reason you're like, Oh, I just want somebody to help me save my business. And then, and, and then when they are there, it's like, Oh, I don't really like these deal terms. <laughs> like, it's like always that. There's never like, oh, that was the Goldilocks porridge of deals yeah. that I just got to take my company right. to the next level. So, yeah. what, do you, what do you do? Like, how do you approach this? Being seasoned, being through it, and a Main Street entrepreneur comes to you and has this conundrum. Yeah. Well, so I mean, there's a couple of things that are going to sound cliche, but they're real. And that one is, don't go try and find money when you need money. You need to, if you, if you know you're going to need money down the road, start looking for it before you need it because you're not going to be desperate and not have to take whatever comes. So there's, so there's that. But I think also, I think, I think today specifically, maybe, maybe, maybe the last five years, I don't know, but today specifically, there's so many avenues to get money for a business that is already started even, even to, you know, just a nascent perspective. I mean, there's Kickstarters, there's Kickstarters at different levels. There's Kickstarters with um, equity groups. There's Kickstarters for B2B. There's Kickstarters for, I mean, there's so many ways. 
there's factoring, there's people, banks and factors out there who will give you money against, you know, inventory receipts. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the sort of vertical startup where you keep control and you try to get money that doesn't give up control. And any money that you do bring in is money that is smart money, right? So I would rather bring in a a sales partner, um, bring in, you know, somebody within my, the vertical part of my business who has a stake in my business being successful and can add something that way and doing an earn-in or a cash plus earn-in or something like that. So every situation is so different, but um, the opportunity right now for, you know, for money and for financing is so great without having to give up everything um, and I don't think that's been true in the past. So there's no question that there is more opportunity on the table to raise cash today. There's yeah. also no question that as a result of that, there's more things trying to raise yes. cash. And so yes. the competitive landscape is crazy. It's crazy. And this is yeah. where I always tell entrepreneurs to really, really, really focus in on knowing why and what they are doing what yeah. their point of view, perspective, philosophy is in the marketplace and absolutely target that because, yeah. and I fell victim to this too. You know, you, you, we, you know, we got our product on the shelves in Nordstrom and it was like, well, all of a sudden you get your imposter syndrome to what everybody else is doing at Nordstrom's and you start to chip away at like your own brand by saying, okay, well, Nordstrom's is telling us to do this because Calvin does this, Calvin Klein and so-and-so does this. And then all of a sudden you've diluted the thing that got you there in the first place. Right, right. And the consumer is so incredibly smart. And because they have so many options, they can be choosy. They, yeah. they immediately are like, oh, this isn't what I originally supported. I'm done. I'm going to go find the, the yeah. thing that truly speaks to me. Yeah. That cost us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And, and you know, th- this is a, another component to, you know, having, being steadfast and in, in knowing what you want, because, we just felt victim to the heavy hand of the big box stores that told us to do things that they thought would work. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's, so there, there's a couple of things to unpack there too, is so one totally agree with you. You've got to know what your what and, and, and your why, why you're doing it. I mean, I get people that come to me with ideas all the time, you know, the the latest and greatest thing that's going to happen in apparel that they're going to send a, sell a million, million pieces of this overnight. And, and, you know, what do you think, how do I source this? And, and I always go, okay, well, let's back up. So tell me what the idea is again. And, and then you kind of go, well, who else is doing that? Oh, well, these people are doing it, but they're not doing it the right way. I'm like, well, how, what's proprietary about it? What's different about it? well, it's just a different saying or a different, you know, logo or a different, you know, icon or I'm like, okay, well, can you own it? No. Um, okay. So how much you want to spend on this? Oh no, it's going to sell itself. So, so you kind of have to back up and go, okay, how much, how much, how much thought have you really put into this about the why what's the story you may have this great idea that you came up with over whiskey and tequila going back to alcohol (laughs) and it was brilliant at midnight with all of your friends in the bar and so now it's got to hit the light of day and so where does it fit in the marketplace who's going to buy it i mean it's just basic marketing questions that that you have to ask yourself and it's like is there a place in the market 
I mean, when I started wood, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even like to shop. I mean, most of my business practices been B2B, not B2C. Um, I had no idea about even men's trade shows, but, but I did take a look at the marketplace and say, okay, well, men really don't have, you know, 10 years ago, really didn't have a lot of options. It's true. And, um, and so, you know, especially when you consider, you know, what women have out there, go look at any department store, right? Seven floors of a department store and men has, you know, half One. a floor in the basement. <laughs> yeah, there you right? go. So yeah, Seattle right there. <laughs> right. So it's like, okay, well, men like nice fabrics. So let's figure that out. So there's room. So then you got to come up with the story and, and then you got to keep reinforcing the story and you've, it's perseverance wins. Cause, and I'm sure you've seen this too. These people who are like, oh no, it's the greatest. I'm going to do it anyway. I hear you, but no, I think you're wrong. I'm going to do this anyway. So, you know, you see them at a trade show or you see them in a store once you know, and then three months later, they're gone because they just, you know, they haven't thought through and perseverance. I mean, I remember going to three seasons of trade shows before anybody would talk to me. And I'm like, well, just please talk to me or I can't be here next season. <laughs> if you don't talk to me, I'm not going to make it three seasons. But after three seasons, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw you last season. Oh, yeah, I saw you last year. Like, well, the only reason I'm still here is because you know, I've, I, I'm trying to stick it out, bef- you know, until you talk to me. There's a lot and of perse- perseverance, a big thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to just this idea of being seen. If we're talking like, let's, let's separate what we're talking about versus we're like, okay, you can look at what, who is going to buy this and what's the market potential to scale to a billion dollar business, hundred million dollar business. And how do you own the category that does that? Or you can just say, does this need need to be filled in my town? Right. They're very different stories in the sense of how you're tackling something. Right. Right. And it's always one of those things where it comes back to execution, because to your point and use the underwear examples, when we launched our underwear companies, probably around the same time ish within a couple of years of each other. 500 underwear lines launched in the men's space that I was told that number might not be hundred percent accurate. Oh, I, I believe it. I swear one year it was like every day there was some new celebrity putting their name on an underwear waistband. Right. And, and what that tells you is that if you've had the idea, you're not the only one who's had the idea. Right. So then it does come back to execution. How are yeah. you going to execute this vision, this vision and this business and this, this idea of just being there, consistently yeah. showing up, consistently showing up to the boutique stores that you're trying to sell, consistently having product available in your e-commerce store, meeting shipping deadlines with your partners. The non-sexy side of the business is the side of the business that wins because all of a sudden so-and-so didn't make their delivery. They had a quality issue, often in my case, yeah. <laughs> a lot of quality issues. Somebody swoops in. They take that hard-earned market share because they're just there and they're operating. Yeah. But how demoralizing is it to stand in the trade show booth with crickets? Like, oh. it's so bad, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, the only reason I'm personally on social media is because I had to be to put my 
business on social media. So that's really, really the reason I got, I got on social media, but I would stand in the booth because nobody was talking to me and I would talk to myself with my, in my phone and just create content, yeah. you know, or take pictures and re-merchandise everything and take pictures for websites or whatever that I could just have, you know, category of, because it is, and, and, you know, you try to make it productive, but it's, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is it's humiliating. It's, yeah. It is humiliating. It is it's it's like being on display and not being wanted. Like maybe <laughs> maybe we can like segue that back to your dating book later. But I want to. There's a few kernels of wisdom that I want you to share that are that are into this um, or from this, I should say. The first one being taking action because you've already you've already touched on this, and you can you can tell the story of how you you created wood because it was a very light bulb esque moment, right? And we all have those, but the but the the difference between to your point, the drunken night with tequila and whiskey, wine, and the great idea that comes to you because you're finally relaxed and you're not tightly wound and so on and so forth. But how do you, from an advice standpoint, then tell somebody, here's how, what you do with that. How do you take action against that idea? What's your, what's your wisdom there? Hmm. Again. <laughs> uh, gosh. All right. So, as you've advice, done it so many times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so there, there's a couple ways to go with this one. If you're somebody that has to go have all the research, forget it. The research is going to tell you not to do it. There's every reason why you shouldn't do something. Every single, if you, if you go look for reasons why you shouldn't do something, you will find them and they will hit you in the face, you know? So a little of a little ignorance for an entrepreneur goes a really long way. Cause I think if people who found companies knew everything that they didn't know when they started it, they wouldn't have started it. Truth. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. True. Truth. Yeah, 100%. yeah. So, so you don't, you don't necessarily want to take your education of it too far. You won't do it. You have to believe you have to believe and you have to know that you're going to stick it out for a period of time. You can piss, pick what your risk tolerance is right? What is the amount of time, treasure, whatever you're going to invest in this personally? Cause you've got to have a stake in the game. Mm-hmm. Even if you're, even if you've got, you know, angels, whatever coming in to give you money, you've got to have a stake in the game or it's going to fail because you're just dealing with somebody else's money and it doesn't matter that much to you, but it's your time and your treasure. If you think you can do this for six months or for a year to see how it goes, that's, that's what you have to plan the rest of your life around. Right. And, and it's, this is going to occupy your whole life. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to be in charge of how you schedule your time, but all of your time is going to be focused on, you know, this thing. So um, if you can't do that, then you have to figure out how to bring other people into your idea to parse out what's going to be required, but that's then not going to be your idea. So yeah. And you know, it's, this is because there's, there's a theme in your life where you went to Japan and you didn't really ask a lot of questions. You went, you did. And you say, you know, I'll give it a year. You stayed too. started this men's underwear line. You know, you're still doing it today. So there is a, a stepping into the unknown that you seem to embrace. And some people do, you know, and going to backpacking Europe is maybe easier than moving to a country more like what you did to Japan, but like, how would you cultivate the, the line of thinking and the line of self-belief trust that, that the process will work out to make these decisions in your life as, yeah. as 
traveling decision is no different than a business decision. They're all gut led in a way. Yeah. Well, so, so for me, I have mantras, you know, running maybe is where I come up with some of these things. It's like, Oh, I love Hills. I love Hills. Right. When you're in the middle of it, I love these Hills, but for, for me, taking steps of change is I seek it because I can ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. Can I live with it? Mm-hmm. If I can live with it, right? So I move myself to Japan. What's the worst that can happen? I come back. Mm-hmm. Okay. I hate it. I come back. Okay. I hate it. After three months, I come back. What's the worst that can happen? You know, you start a business and what's the worst that can happen? I lose my shirt. Can I start over? Okay. Yeah, I can. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a gambling thing too. You go to Vegas. I have my gambling money, which is really entertainment money because I plan to lose it. So it's like, how long can I spend at a blackjack table with a hundred bucks or 500 bucks or whatever it is? It's usually more in the hundred line than, than that. But it's like, if I win great, but I'm going to lose a hundred dollars. I can live with that. So can I lose a thousand dollars? I'm going to feel really bad about that. I can't do that. So what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to have a shitty time in Vegas because I decided to put too much money on the table. So it's really, that, that really drives a lot of, a lot of it for me, but, you know, backing up a little bit further, I always had this, it's a little bit hard to describe. I've tried to articulate it as, as I've, you know, grown and aged, but it's, uh, I've had this thing about, I've got to expand where I am. I've got to, you know, I've got to get to the next thing. I've got to expand. So a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are like, you know, and a lot of parents are that way for their children. They're like, oh no, you got to stay right here where I know where, you know, where I have control, where, you know, things, you know, that whole outside thing is scary. And for me, it was like, oh no, I, I know what's here. I don't want to be here. Let's, I got to, I don't know what else is out there, but I got to go, you know, seek, do find. And so I was always looking for that expansion because partially because I was so afraid to get stuck like right here. And I, I, you know, I'm still, that's still a work in progress thought for me, but, um, but I'm sitting with that pretty well right now. It's uh, it kind of has driven a lot of, it explains a lot (laughs) of my, you know, jump then think mentality. Well, I have it too. I have Mm -hmm. the, the jump then think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, it's funny. Cause when you said the mantra thing, I, you know, I've read, read a book on doing that for running what it was some sort of performance book trait, some sort of famous sports psychologist wrote it and, you know, pretend you're a wedge when you're running into wind and, you know, do I'm, I'm light as a feather when you're going pulling a rope. Yeah. Pulling like, a rope. I'm pulling the rope. <laughs> I, I just, I know so many times, like, I would be like running up this hill and I'd, the mantra would be like rocking in the first 30 strides, 40 strides. I'm like, I'm, I'm light as a feather. And then I'm not as light as a feather. I'm definitely not as light as a feather anymore. Or, or, that, person, <laughs> or that person at the 25th mile of a marathon saying, you're almost there. I'm not fucking almost there. There's a whole mile, <laughs> 1.2 miles left. It's not almost. <laughs> and that's, you know, and this is, I guess where I'm driving with this is there's, there's a level of humility that comes with, I can be not okay yeah. and still be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And tempo th- runs, right? I'm just going to bring up tempo runs. My, my mantra for tempo runs is it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. <laughs> if it's not hurting, you're not doing it right. Like, yeah. So it's, but you're okay. Yes. 
you're okay. And this is, you know, you were talking about helicopter parenting and, and helicopter parenting has essentially become what's now called snowplow parenting. Wow. Okay. It's not, it's no longer even that I'm going to stand over your shoulder and monitor the situation, which what, you know, historically was, you, you know, you're in a fight in the schoolyard. It's on, you're on your own. Yeah. Now it's, now it's not, I'm going to stand there and whisper into your ear. It's, I'm not even going to let you do it. Yeah. And this then trickles into the, 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 why so much of the world decision, the scary decisions of, well, can I restart over? No, you can't. Well, you've only been told you can't. It's only because you were told to save for your retirement. You were told that a steady job, a steady paycheck, all these things were important. And I'm not saying they're not. And there's certainly archetype personalities that thrive in that environment. And sure, sure. Yeah. By and large, it's still a story that we can undo. And you're talking about rewriting that story. And I like to add to that, like, what if everything that I thought was true wasn't true? Then what would I do? Right, right, right. Well, and that's the and that's the beauty of and you know this because you've traveled. That's the beauty of taking yourself from this place, you know, and parking yourself in this whole different place. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, okay. Everything I thought I knew over here is just not true over here. It's reframed. It's re, I mean, everything is different. And so I think that expands your mind. It, it can also really validate and ground everything that you believed over here. So it might turn your world upside down and say, oh, well, that wasn't true. But it might also say, oh, okay, well, I get that some of the values I had over here are really grounding for me as a person to be over here. I, I'm curious, and the answer to this question may be the same as the answer to the last one. But as somebody who at different points in your life, which I think you would use the words were sort of pivotal or big pivot moments for you, have found that you have a strength in making those decisions and helping people make those decisions. Uh, you can speak to the, you know, any specific stories that are relevant to this. But again, that is a moment in time when a lot of us feel stuck and the answer right is staring us in the face, but we can't, it's an inch away, but it's on the other side of the plexiglass and soundproof. They can't hear it. You know what I mean? But it's right there. And we just, we can't get there. And this I find is the difference between highly successful people and those who are not living what they would call their best life to borrow a very millennial phrase. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and it's, it's their ability to, to listen to that voice and make those decisions in those, those, those times that are pivotal. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you advise people to do that? What are some yeah. of your experiences doing that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it does go back to what's the worst that can happen. Right. I mean, I I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of some examples um, really recently, uh-huh. you know, I've got a lot of friends who've, whose kids are either going to college or, they're getting out of college and deciding what's next. And, um, and my advice to a person, regardless of their situation, education, whatever has been, there are so many opportunities for your world to get small. So that's, that is, that is what is naturally going to happen. Your world's going to get small unless you decide to not let it. 
So you have to actively decide to open your world. You did it when you went to school, to college. You actively decided to be educated in whatever it was. You, you, I did it when I moved to Japan. I actively decided I needed to go. I didn't know what I was going to find there, but I actively decided I need to, needed to know what was there. And, um, but every, everything around a person, family, parents, friends, all of that is not, not in a bad way, but it just all starts getting small as you age with it. And so you really have to be intentional to continue to grow and to get, and to educate yourself and to grow as a person and to figure out who you are and who you want to continue to be. And that takes intention. So, I mean, to a person, that's what I say to everybody. And I, I mean, I have thousands of examples of that. I mean, daily, I mean, it's, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I've <laughs> in this underwear business, I mean, 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, a friend of mine in, uh, you know, the, the logistics business, he calls me, he says, what are you doing for 3PL? I'm like, well, what the hell's 3PL? I don't know what 3PL is. I'm like, I've got this stuff that's going to land in port and I figure I'm going to have to try and figure out who has it and probably walk down there and see it, see if I can get it out of the port and see if somebody will truck it to some warehouse and I'll pick and pack all night. And he's like, oh, Tracy, you're not doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, so yeah, you, 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 have be, you have to be curious, right? You, it's, it's, you know, I don't, I don't believe in reading with the dictionary, but it is a similar thing. Like if you're reading a book and you come across words you don't know, or, or a place you're like, well, where the hell's Indonesia, you know, go look it up, be curious, be there's, curious. There's something really important here. And, I, and this goes back to snowplow parenting and, and what I talked about, about, you know, selling us the, telling us we're sick and selling us the medicine right? in general. I'm not talking yeah. about the pharmaceutical yes. business. Yes. And, and this is this, the, the opposite of curiosity is the fear and, and, and just retracting into what feels safe and comfortable. Yeah. And we're in to borrow Michael Zeller. I can't remember his last name. East Easter, maybe uh, comfort crisis. We're in a comfort crisis. We have become yeah. too comfortable yeah. as a species as a race and, and it's going to backfire. And yeah. this is, and it already is backfiring. When you talk about mental health, depression, suicide, drug overdose, those are byproducts of being too comfortable. Right. Where there isn't already mental health involved. Right. Yep. 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 And beyond that, talk about the division that we have in our society and this, this tribalism and the media just, Beats on our fears. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you listen to if you listen to the news, I limit myself because all it does is piss me off. No matter what channel I'm listening to, um, or social media, whatever. If you listen to all of that, there's there's only two opinions on everything. One in Canada. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a little harsher, but yeah. So so you guys are fully united around that one opinion. Well, there's a, there's a fringe minority who right. okay. disagree with some of the things that, uh, right. but we okay. just, we, and I, I say that tongue in cheek, but it's, but it is true because, you know, functioning democracy runs around a functioning media environment where there's independence and we, our media is almost entirely owned and or funded or, or subsidized by the liberal government. And I'm not saying that, that everything the liberal government says or everything the media says is wrong. 
but there is no opposing opinion that makes its way to mainstream. Well, there's no, what I, what I, what I believe and what I think I see is that there's no journalism anymore. There's only commentators and opinion, opinion makers, opinion. um, Yes. Uh, And that's what all of these, you know, certainly if you look at TV, that a lot of the stations are all about putting upon putting the opinion pundits um, and commentators. And, and it's, and it's, people are mistaking that with news and journalism. So I'm not saying that there aren't people, those people don't do their research and don't go out and, you know, do all the things a journalist would do, but the way it's presented back is very different from a journalist versus a pundit. So, you know, and, and I think the population is confused about it one, because it's not made apparent necessarily on these channels. And, um, and it's, I I think it's a loss. I mean, it used to be that you had an editorial board of a newspaper or I'm sure newsroom. I don't know the workings of newsrooms that, you know, the editor, if you came to him with a story that said, Oh, you know, Joe says the, the haze blew this year, you know, the editor's going to say, well, go find out what Sally says, because I need her opinion to, you know, have a counterpoint, right? So there's always, there, there used to be, and I, I'm sure there is somewhere. I, I personally haven't necessarily Podcast. found it. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> the, contrarian, the contrarian heterodoxy on... Uh... Right, but it's, it is like, okay, well, let's not just take Joe's word for it. Let's go talk to four other people and let's bring all of it to the, to the story because it's a story. And this is what, what, well, what we're both saying it is that we in Tranche, we want to hear what we are told we want to hear because that feels safe. But the curiosity to understand, well, okay, that's what I've heard. Now, what does the other side say? Right. Removes a lot of what we have. And that is, it is a, a willingness to say, I don't know. A willingness to say, well, maybe that's not right. Mm-hmm. A willingness to continue to explore and or reinvent ourselves into different opinions and or at least, you know, inventing ourselves into saying, I'm okay with somebody else's opinion being different from mine. And we're at a time where that apparently is not okay. And that is not okay because it, there's a fear that it, that it somehow will affect our ability to live as a human being. Now, some laws do, fair enough. But most of the time it, it doesn't. And, you know, we, we get these straw man arguments where, we just shame people for saying something. Whereas what really needs to happen is what's called a steel man argument, where it's, you understand your point of view, but you are so well-versed in the topic as a whole that you can actually argue the other person's point of view. Right. If you How need cool to- would that be if everybody would think about that perspective, even if they couldn't do it? Yeah. And I guess I just, I'm, and I'm just, I'm appreciating your willingness to, to continue to explore and expand and not contract. And I think that that's a good message for everybody. It's like, we, yeah. are, we are creatures that expand and, you know, and, and, and I think that we are happiest when we're in that state. And I think that life as a mystery or life as something to explore is far more interesting than oh, for put sure. it in a box. Right. And for say, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, how many times have you heard friends or family say, oh, but you don't know anybody there. Why would you do that? Oh, but you don't, you know, you know why would you go there? And, you know, what, isn't it scary? Yeah. What are you going to do? Like, <laughs> we made know. an entire film about it. It's called oh, Racial Citizens. It's, it's not out yet, but it's done. And we're going through the, uh, the interesting world of getting <laughs> distributed. I mean, you can just put it out and may end up being that way, but we took our girls to Taiwan and, and Colombia was in the film, Argentina, Lebanon, the far North in Canada, like all these places that you wouldn't normally take kids. Right. And you got that whole thing. Like I even got so much as I was an irresp- irresponsible parent for putting my wow. kids in dangerous situations, like, wow. because I took them to Lebanon. Wow. You know, and um, how do they know it's dangerous? Have they been? I know that's, that was the whole point, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where if you choose to step in, like you said, all kinds of things open up for you yeah. as a human being. And more importantly, the unexpected opens up for you. Yeah. And well, my advice to entrepreneurs is always, well, this business idea may be great, and it may be the thing, like you said, that you want to put some of your personal treasury to and your time and all the all that, that, or it may just be a step to a different step. And if you approach it that way, yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting unfolding. Yeah. And maybe that's an interesting way of talking about, because, you know, you've still got the underwear line, but you're now stepping into, well, you've written a book yes. and you've you started it. I'm not sure if say hi is a coaching platform or an app, but you've now stepped into that thing. So you're, you're stepping in, you're continually stepping in. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the book. Where did this come from? Oh, so the book, you can see the graphic on the wall behind me, the book. Oh Lord. I mean, you've, uh, you've written one. So, you know, the journey of this is never not a straight line either. It's, you don't just publish a book and then it blows up. It's like, you have to do so. It's, you have to feed this beast that you've created to constantly get, you know, material or, you know, material out there to push the book. But this book, so I met my husband through a dating agent about 16 years ago. And an agent, an agent, a person. That's yes. Cool. <laughs> and so my, my friends were like, you, you're what, what you're doing? What? I'm like, it's going to be fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to agree to meet somebody for a drink, you know, 10 minutes minimum one hour max or no minimum, actually just an hour max. And then you, you can decide pretty quickly after you meet somebody, if you want to go have a proper date. So this agent would only, they, you know, they'd call and say, okay, Teresa, you want to meet so-and-so for, you know, drinks and they'll, they, they decide the place. And, and then you have the opportunity to ask questions, but you don't get a last name. You don't get a picture and you don't get a place of work. And so this was also very troubling to friends. You don't get a picture. What? <laughs> so how can you, how can you figure this out? <laughs> Moving to so, Japan for a year with no plan. That's nothing compared to this. <laughs> like okay so how many people fudge their pictures on these online dating sites anyway i mean it's just silly so and i'm not marrying the person i'm meeting them for a drink that i can decide i'm gonna stay and drink or i can leave i mean it's i'm not being handcuffed to the bar 
So anyway, what I, what I did tell them is I, I'm going to meet some people. I'm going to have some fun with it. I'm going to take some notes and I'm going to write a book about it. Mm-hmm. So um, fast forward to, gosh, this was the end of 2019. My co-author, Jess, she, um, she and I met up at this networking thing and she had just come in from New York or DC and she starts talking about this guy on the plane and she met him and she was in the position where she was like headphones, hoodie, you know, book, trying not to talk to the person next to her. And he was having none of it. He was going to talk to her and he got her number. So it was successful for him. And so she's like, okay, well, I'm going up there next week, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to meet him for coffee. So it's not really a date. And so by this time there's a crowd cause she's, she's, uh, she's, she is a great storyteller. So crowds developed and everybody's like, Jess, this is a date. This is, you don't kid yourself. This is a date. Let's call it what it is. And so I told her about my notes that I had taken and my plan to write this book. So by the end of the day, you know, we pinky promise, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this. And, um, and two weeks later we met, you know, at a local coffee shop and we started hashing out stories and um, we, uh, we had most of, we had most of it written, you know, by April of 2020. I mean, this was sort of silver linings of COVID. We had time once Mm -hmm. everything shut down in March, we spent most of our March and April, you know, writing this book and we had it, we had it done and then, you know, launched it. It took us a little while to figure out what to do with it after we wrote it. What did you Um, find? I want to, I want to talk to about your writing process and your creative process in general, writing and for your businesses, but yeah, what was the discovery, the, the through line with O Lords in terms yeah. of dating? And I imagine I think it's written from female perspective dating. It is, but there we've we've done some exercises to change the pronouns, and it works for men too. Yeah. So um, the through line really is about own your own shit, be intentional identify what you want in life and then don't date something that's not that Mm -hmm. right. Um, Don't expect people to read your mind. You need to state what you want. Maybe sometimes literally state what you want. This is not even just dating. I mean, in your relationship, I mean, you know, there's, there's people that I know that, that, you know, through the process of this book and feedback, we've gotten, you know, friends and people that I don't even know who have, who have called and said, yeah, my, I, I tried this thing on my husband, you know, last week, I, you know, I told him that I was, you know, unhappy about this one thing. And I told him why, and I, you know, we talked it out and I didn't feel like I could do that before, but it worked out. So it was, it was a happy thing. So, so just, you know, relationship intention. What were the, um, I'm very, very curious. I'll you- send you a book. I'll have, I'll send oh, no, you I'll one. Buy one, but you have, you have, Lord Contradiction, Lord FOMO, Lord Layaway, Lord Self-Absorbed, Lord at Your Peril, Lord Good Guy, Not My Guy, and Lord My Guy. So these are your archetypes that you've identified. I am very curious. Can you just give me like a quick rundown on, on each of them? Yeah. So Lord Journeyman, Lord Journeyman is the guy that you think that you have to have and because he is steadfast and true and loyal. And, you know, for, for Jess and I just married a Lord Journeyman. Um, I had a very longstanding, you know, on off relationship with one and um, it's uh, wasn't exciting enough for us. Like, you know, if it wasn't planned out, like on a schedule, it was not happening. 
Um, and then that planning took research. And I mean, that's not me. Clearly, we've talked for enough time. You probably know that that's not me. Lord Layaway is total player, total player, total player. Um, I'm going to, so I'm doing these out of order, but it's a little easier if I put them in order. So Lord Journeyman is the kind of guy that I would describe as boring, but he's, he's a very attractive guy for a lot of people, just not for me. Lord Contradiction, this is, this is the person that says that they want something and then they date the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you don't, if you don't drink alcohol, don't go to a bar to meet somebody. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if religion is important in your life and you know, you want to marry a Catholic, well, don't go date the Baptist. I mean, there's some common sense things there, right? I mean, I, there's, we have stories in here all the time. And one of my stories is, you know, I was, had dated this guy for a couple of months and we're on the couch and we started talking about, you know, what we wanted. And I'm like, well, who's your ideal? And um, you can't tell how tall I am, but I'm short. And uh, he's like tall, brunette and Catholic. Well, so I'm not tall and I'm not brunette, um, you know, heels and some hair dye can fix that, but I'm also not Catholic. <laughs> so some of that's fundamental. And he, I think he didn't even know he was saying it. I think he didn't know, he didn't know the impact of it when he said it, it came out of his mouth and he's like, Oh, Oh, so it was shocking. So Lord FOMO, this is fear of missing out. So this guy is this guy or person, because uh, Jess has been Lady FOMO. This person just dates, just dates around, but honest about it. Like I'm dating you and I'm dating you and I'm dating you. And, you know, it's all in the open, not trying to hide it. Lord Layaway is the player. Oh, I'm only dating you. I'm only dating you, sweetie. But oh, and I'm only dating you, sweetie. So that's the that's the guy you want to run from. Lord self-absorbed. This is a person who lives a very superficial life yeah. and it's all about how it looks, how it, how it, how it sheds light on that person. Men and women alike do this. It happens. They, you can have Lord and lady self-absorbed get together and it can be fine because they all want the same thing. Yeah. Good shining light on them. Lord at your peril. This is an abusive relationship. So this is, there are some signs in there that um, this is kind of more, our more serious chapter. So, you know, there's, there's some signals in there and some places to go get help on that one. Good guy, not my guy. Um, I, I'm sure you know this as well as I do, maybe, you know, from the male perspective, but it's like, I lived in San Francisco for, all, oh, there's no men in San Francisco. There's no good men in San Francisco. You know, you go to Texas, oh, there's no good women. In <laughs> none, there's none. Like, really, come on. There's a lot of really great people out there. One, you have to be open. And two, you got to give people a chance and then they might turn out to be good people, but they're not your people. So that's fine too. So timing, chemistry, um, you know, what you want in life, but it doesn't mean they're not out there. Yeah. I mean, that's the last point is really interesting to me because relationships are built over time and relationships are about growing with the person as they grow and to continuing to choose them. And so this idea that you know, we can figure it all out right away. You know, it's, we don't really figure, I don't, I figure like you, you don't really figure out your relationship until something bad happens and you make the choice to stay until you mm -hmm. make the choice to communicate and learn how to communicate because of that, what your needs are, what their needs are, not just with each other, but mm -hmm. beyond that. And it's not, you know, they're messy, yeah. but then they become good messy. Yeah. You're in the shit yeah. together. And that's yeah. where the, that's where the magic of, 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 a, of a, a, a good relationship comes 
from that, not from it being perfect on the surface. Obviously, oh, get that, absolutely. but to the expression of, you know, there's no guys there, this and that. It's like, well, you know, people unravel themselves as they feel comfortable because of the space that you create for them and hold for them to unravel themselves. Right, right. And the other thing that's interesting, or I'm curious about, excuse me, is the, you know, we, the mirror in our life, right? We always, we're projecting out what we're getting. We're getting back what we've projected out, even if we don't know we have. In other words, if somebody's treating us poorly, why are we allowing that? What have we, you know, how have we let this happen? How we put ourselves in this this position? That's just one example of, of many. But do you, in this book, address how the person needs to understand who they are and why they might be looking at somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the person who says, Oh, there's, there are no men in San Francisco. That person is not open. Sounds like a movie. That that person doesn't want to date. That person doesn't want somebody in their life. May not be able to say that to themselves, but that's what that is. Yeah. There's nobody out there because they're, they're not, you know, they're closed. So yeah, most of this book, the through line is intention. It is, it is owning your own shit. It's like, okay, there's, it's not true that there's nobody out there. There's a whole lot of space between one and none and neither is, neither is true. So you look yourself in the mirror and, you know, figure out what you want out of it. Um, and I think, I think you, I think there absolutely no confusion. There's no perfection in a relationship, but that's some, that's part of the most beautiful stuff. It's like, if you have a, if you have a decent grounding in who you're with, I think that you can, you work through all the imperfections and you, and you don't even have to agree on all of it, but you figure out a way to live with all of it. So yeah, and not yeah. as a sacrifice as a, right. as a conscious choice of, of acceptance of this is and not again not accepting abuse not accepting something that's not healthy right right not turning something that is into something that's not healthy because of your own shit right Right. Right. i'm very curious you know because obviously i've written a book you you people who are listening to this they can't see all the colorful drawings on the back of the wall you know you've you've launched an underwear line this book etc how do you tackle creativity what does a day look like for you in, in your work. Well, gosh, I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on this too. But um, for me, it is, if I've got, if I've got something I've got to tackle, I try to f- just freeform my handwrite stuff. I can see that. Um, <laughs> I got all my post-its on my walls and whatever. I, I'll, I talk into my, uh, my, I was going to say dictaphone. Those don't exist. Um, my telephone, the micro, the, the recording app on my phone, I talk into that and then just get it transcribed. Um, and then, and I go for a run and I think I mind clearing things that allow you to think like running. I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own, you know, different way of doing that, but for me, running is, is mind freeing and also gives you time to think like golfing is not my golfing. You have to be present. So golfing is not the place to go be creative because your golf game is going to suck if that happens. So you you've got to kind of be in the moment with golf. So, but running is totally different story. You can, you know, be off in the, you know, up in the tops of the trees if you want to with, with running. So, and it's always iterative. So you're never going to sit down and have the perfect idea 
in one sitting in my mind, it doesn't work for me. Some people I'm sure do it and are great at it. But for me, it's like, okay, well, how many times can I tear this up and start over? But I've got the pieces here. And so I've just got to figure out how the puzzle fits together. So that's it's an so answer. True. But no, it's, it's true. It's, you know, your first idea is rarely your best idea. That is, yeah. I don't know who to attribute that to, but it's, it's not me. And, yeah. um, but it's so hard to do it because you're tearing apart in a sense, you're ripping apart your ego, right? You're like, well, this was, yeah. not, you know, so good. And it's like, well, what if it wasn't good? And then keep coming back to it and, and approaching it different ways. I think that's a fantastic way of doing yeah. it. That is how a book comes together for those who want yeah. to write a book. It is, there's no prod process more iterative maybe than a, I mean, maybe that's not true. It's just a book is very, very iterative and painfully. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the next terrifying piece of that and part of the creative process for me too, is then exposing that to somebody else's thought. So at some point you've got to go share this with, you know, somebody that you trust that's yeah. going to be constructive and not, you know, not your mom. Cause your mom thinks everything you do is great, but somebody who's going to say, Oh, actually this doesn't make sense. Or, you know, you're assuming too much or, actually it sucks. Right. So that, and then you got to go back and figure out how to incorporate that. And I think that's terrifying too. Yeah. And knowing it, taking, taking the, a very data driven approach of, okay, who on earth am I creating this for? Who is my avatar? Who is my customer book, whatever, who's going to read this, who's going to watch this if it's a movie. And then being able to separate, well, okay, I don't care about what my mom thinks because she's going to love it. But I also don't care about what people who aren't in this realm right. think right. because right. their opinion doesn't really matter, at least to start, because ultimately we're all on somewhere on the spectrum of what thing and wh whether we like it or not based on who we are, history, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's about really diving into that clarity of, of who, who you're selling it to. And then if they say it sucks... Someone who doesn't read sci-fi says your sci-fi book sucks. It don't matter. Right. And I'm always, I'm always of the mind when it, we're talking about shipping creative work that you just, you just ship it anyway. I like, I don't care. You be consistent. And if I take, I'll take criticism and feedback while I'm creating it. Yeah. Once I've shipped it. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. You it, have to let it go. Yeah. yeah. It's out there. It, I don't care if you don't like it. I did it and that was a lot to do. Right. And I like, and this is what I did, you know, with the Nordstrom's thing is you have a great pair of underwear, you have a great box. They start telling you to change it. It's like, no, we're past that. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's not, again, their fault. They just, they're just doing their job, but this is when yeah. you be done with something, when you ship it and you be in it, like you, you'd be proud of what you did and then do it again. Do something else. Well, and and you have to be okay with somebody not liking it because it's going to be true a thousand percent of the time. I mean, there is going to be someone who doesn't like whatever you did. It's uh, I think that's just fact. I mean, that's you just start head lasso. <laughs> you gotta be a goldfish. <laughs> You're right. And you I gotta be a goldfish. I so this leads me to what is on paper, my last question that I had for you, which was something you shared with me, I think I think this is a is a safe segue. You said you're coming to a place where you're not your biggest salesperson, and certainly not your best salesperson. You said later, I love that 
I also have to fight the urge to think I need to do more on that front in order to be a better leader to my teams. So I wanted you to unpack this because there's a common, another commonality that's here, but yeah, I'm struck yeah. when I read it. Tell me about it. Tell me what's going on for you there. Well, okay. So I'm competitive um, <laughs> and I'm a control freak. And I think founding your own business um, has to humble you on both fronts because you aren't going to control almost anything. You control what you can control and most of it you have to let go. And competition doesn't really serve you very well because it doesn't keep you on your path. But in my business, you know, for the most part, I've been my lead salesperson and I have always wanted to bring in that sales leader or team that just goes and blows it out of the water. But then they do when you go, oh my God, I'm not I'm not pulling my weight anymore because I'm, you know, I'm not at the top of the sales chart anymore. And I, you have to, it's that imposter thing. It's like, well, how can I lead my team if I'm not leading my team in these things? And I mean, pick sales because it's easy because it's numbers, but I mean, it's, it's any, anything really. And then, and then you have to, I talk to my dog. So sometimes these conversations happen out loud with my dogs in the room. But I, I then have to tell myself that that's not where my value is at this point in my business. So I have to make sure that they have what they need to go out and rock it. And that if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job. I don't have to you know, be in competition with them on that, on their numbers. It's just, it's so it, but it's a, it's a, it's a struggle because um, most of my career I've done in, I've been in production of some sort. So I've always like, Oh yeah. Sales goal. Great target. Go. Yeah. Go. But yeah, you have to, it's, it's hard. It's hard to let go to grow. It's the only yeah. way you scale and you have to be willing to allow a certain degree of failure as a result of letting go to grow or error which is even right, harder, right? Especially right, when- because what if these people leave? I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to figure out how to sell again. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting, it's ridiculous. Though. Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's just part of it, right? Like you just you're so intertwined with your business, mm-hmm. and that has been a theme of our conversation today. Is you know we started there with me landing in New York and mm-hmm. and feeling out of where what was going on in the thing that I'd started. And that's the same thing in micro steps along the way, when you let go to grow by hiring in a salesperson. And, and I've always, you can tell me what you think about this because I've always, there's two, there's two schools of thought, both play together essentially. But one is I have to sell my own stuff because I'm the one with all the passion and um, fire for this thing. Whereas, and that's been true for me and it's probably yeah. been true for you. <clears throat> I've also found that I've actually had more success when there's a third party to validate why something is good, because of course I think my shit is good. My shit don't Mm. stand like just no different Mm. than mom liking what I put out. Right. It's like, and I think that there's a level of whoever's on the buyer end of it, whatever it is, is like, well, of course he's going to tell me, or she's going to tell me it's the best thing in the world. But when somebody else who's and so uh, who's not as as invested in it says yeah. it, things change, and so my now approach is how do I find the champions who can 
who can bring this thing out there and be the, you know, be that. And I think it's, it's more like a couple. I think that there's to be successful. There's always a couple of champion and champions for an idea. Yeah. There's actually some science to that or some data around that specifically as it relates to like tipping into success and becoming viral, et cetera. So who are the doctors? But I think it's the same on the sales floors. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, um, so the way you've just framed that, I, I, I think it's, I think it is important that you have to be, you have to show your passion and you have to be the sales person and you're, you're, nobody's going to have more passion than you. And hopefully you do find those advocates, but you still have to be the most passionate person in your business and that passion sells. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, maybe part of my next conversation with myself is going to be, okay, you're still selling, even though you're not selling against a number, right? You're still storytelling. You're still representing your company. You're still, there is a reason why you can get in front of a buyer, even if you don't have the relationship and tell that story and you're supporting your your numbers, you know, not directly. And so there's, there is a good part of that too, that. Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm torn between the two and I'm just always curious what a fellow entrepreneur slash salesperson of their own yeah. wears feels about that or has experienced from the standpoint, yeah. you know, agency of some kind, whether it's your, whether it's your book validated by so-and-so sales Mm -hmm. agent, your underwear, your art gallery, art piece, you know, you might be at the, um, what are those called when, when you have a, you like you curated a show and the artist is there. Oh yeah. The artist, the one who's supposed to sell the the million dollar painting Mm -hmm. to the the billionaire or is person is a, should somebody else be the one, you know, I think it's an interesting question for entrepreneurs to ask themselves yeah. But there's no, I don't know if there's a definitive answer. <laughs> yeah. I don't either, but I, I know that, I know that you do have to be able to tell your, your story. You have to be able to represent your why to people. And that, that brings people in that, that invest, when they hear it from you as the founder, they, that invests them in you to whatever degree. I mean, you know, maybe it's just a single purchase, but it still invests them. And there's an emotional attachment that comes with that, I think. Um, and so, you know, making sure that you believe yourself and that you're authentic about it, all of that is, you know, part of building what it is you're selling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you, when you get big enough, yeah, there's an army of people underneath you that believe it because you believe it. And then- yeah you know, they get other people to believe it. Yeah. But, but still, I mean, look at the biggest brands. I mean, you know, how many people would be disappointed to hear that Calvin Klein doesn't make his own underwear anymore. I mean, you know, they think, Oh, Calvin, they picture that it's a person. It's the, it's the, everything that they have wrapped around Calvin Klein and high fashion. And okay. So it's a pair of underwear that he doesn't make anymore, but that it's all part of that emotional connection. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's the sense. That's the essence of it is. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, how are you creating the emotional connection to the to the product mm-hmm. selling? Yeah, and how can that be transferred again and again and again and again and mass? Yeah, people talk about you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what are you? You know, as we when we come to a close here, what are you excited about in your life? What you know? What would you like to share to the audience that maybe we didn't discuss yet? together. I missed it. And I apologize if I did. Mm, well, so um, I, 
I would love to say just a little bit about Say Hi, because Say Hi has a little, there is a little bit of a through line, you know, in my life. Say Hi was not my idea, but I've, I've been fortunate. To, another pinky promise made a year ago with a, a friend who brought the idea to me to say, what, what do you think? And it is, it is, it goes back to a few things we've already touched on. It goes back to mental health. It goes back to, are you in the right place for yourself? It goes back to, are you taking care of yourself? Um, are you contributing to, do you have what you need, you know, in your job and your, in your life? And are you, you know, have you thought about it? Have you thought it through? There's so, there's so much um, out there right now. The great, great resignation, if I can say that right. You know, everybody's trying to figure out what this new hybrid work environment is going to be and say, hi, say hi is it's an app. You asked earlier if it was um, coaching an online coaching or an app. It's a, it's a background app. Basically what it does is it allows companies to offer a personalized coach to every single employee in their company at scale. So typically coaching, you know, your executive team and maybe a layer down gets a personal coach, but this this sort of democratizes that and it, it flips it a little bit on its head. So when you talk about, when companies talk about engagement, it's really the company wants to know if you're engaging with what they think is important. Say hi flips it on its head and says, tell the company what you think is important and what you need. And we're going to coach you on that. And that's, and that's something that you will take with you and it will contribute back to your company, no doubt but it is flipping the conversation a little bit about, okay, am I engaged with what the company thinks is important versus does the company know what's important to me? And I'm going to tell them through this, through this process. And it's, um, it's pretty phenomenal. So we're, we, um, we developed it and started socializing at the end of last year and we've got contracts right now. So, you know, very happy about all that. It's I, it, there's nothing out there like it. It's, steeped in STEM and data science. And there's way too much you can find out about somebody out there, you know, using technology and some of it's a little scary and we're trying to make sure that we're using data for good and not for evil, but yeah. That's, that's it's cool. So I mean, my next, my last question is always, you know, where can people find you? And, and I guess that would lead to, yeah, I, we can put anything and everything you want in the show notes, but is say hi, what you want them to check out is what underwear, what you want them to check out. Is, book, <laughs> is it all? Of oh, the goodness. Instagram? Like is the, where, where do they find all things in your amazing world? Yeah. So, I mean, find me on LinkedIn, you know, send me a, send me a, a connection request. I, I, I love to explore new people who are not trying to sell me something that I don't need, but, uh, oh, lords.com. I, you know, I, I think that that's, so that's, Whatunderwear.com, great, go buy a pair of underwear. Sayhi.io, great, go learn about it. But ohlords.com, that's not a pitch. That's a, hey, I've just exposed my whole my whole dating relationship history to you, but there's a reason for it. And um, I mean, I've had I've had somebody walk up to me and say, you know, if I'd read this book before I got married, I'd have different children. you know oh I love my children but but you know it's it is it is just a matter of saying you have agency over your life take it take it you know my stepfather gave me between marriages my stepfather gave me the advice to just go down to a bar and pick one and train it really you know that's but so many of us somewhere once (laughs) 
So anyway, you can get, you can keep yourself out of a lot of trouble if you just figure out what you want. And I think, you know, Oh Lord's is, is a funny way. It's a super easy read. It's very conversational, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you know, get the e- ebook version of it for super cheap. It's not a big investment, but it's, you know, it's super fun. So I guess that's what I'd say. Go there. That sounds good. We will do that. Do as Teresa says, please. <laughs> and dating or not, see who you are, even if you're married <laughs> in the, in the archetypes. And um, yeah, speaking of fun, you know, I, I hope soon to, and I sincerely mean this, although I can't, say in reality will happen to come out down there and, and visit you. So would it be Raleigh or Richmond? That's the better hub to, or the better um, spot to come. Say? Oh, either way, either way, either way. Or I, I don't know if you're doing any trade shows, but I I'm at the Chicago collective uh, in the fall and in the winter. And, you know, if you're not doing any of that, but then, you know, Raleigh or Richmond, Wonderful. either way, come visit, come visit your alma mater and I'll meet you in high point. That sounds fun. I, I hope so. I, I plan a trip, hopefully before the end of the year to the Carolinas. We have, we have friends in South Carolina. I, like I said, I had a friend who moved to North Carolina, so it will happen. Good. No, year. let me know. Seriously. I, 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 I so look forward to meeting you. You are, you were just wonderful, wonderful person, amazing energy, amazing story. And I'm so grateful. I got to learn more of it today. And I hope everybody on the podcast, uh, like I said, takes, takes a chance to, to either follow you or, or purchase something that you've created and brought into this world. We are thank you. We are lucky for it. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. Pre- appreciate that very much. I'll look forward to meeting you too. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there. So we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you, and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others, you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything, we'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on, of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that myself and, of course, my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through. You know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas, and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show. And so I'm really grateful that uh, that you've listened all the way through. You know, we don't have ads on the show. I think I don't think Red Circle's running ads, but I wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey, if the spirit moves you. You know, this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and and I'd love for you to check them out. You know, one is uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book, and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online, like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, that's your Shark Tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really 
would really relate to. Uh, you know, has almost 155-ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup, need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like, hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful and inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.